Good morning. As you may have noticed, I'm not Pastor Ryan. I'm Pastor Jake. Um, and uh, he, I got a chance to speak today. And one of the hard parts about only speaking occasionally is uh, it's always hard to figure out what to speak on. Um, so I decided I was going to pick something and just kind of stay in that. So every time I speak, I'm going to go over David. David's kind of been on my heart. My uh, father-in-law has been painting. He's an artist and um, paints on and off, but it's really been in a season where he's just been painting a lot lately. And he's been painting a um, portrait of, or not a portrait, but a picture of David and Goliath. Um, and it's been super interesting hearing him not someone who goes to church regularly or anything like that, but it's been interesting hearing him as he kind of, he wants to make this painting as accurate as possible. So he's been doing a ton of research and everything. Um, and it's been super awesome to hear what he reads about and everything. So it's kind of encouraged me to dive back into David. And I'd love to start with David and Goliath, but that's not the first place David is mentioned. So we're going to start a little bit before that. David's kind of an easy... He's a fun character to study because there's so much to him. I mean, you've kind of got the, he's a small town shepherd boy who grows up to be a king. He's kind of got this underdog story with Goliath. I mean, that's the foundation of every sports movie ever. Um, but he's also got this kind of soap opera-esque thing at the end of his life with, not the end, but towards the end with the affair and um, having the husband murdered and everything. There's just so much to it. And so oftentimes I think we relate to David in different aspects of his life. I mean, when we're facing something tough, when we're facing difficult circumstances, I think we put ourselves in David's shoes as going against Goliath. Or when I know there's times where I'm just confronted with the weight of my sin like David was with his sin with Bathsheba. And I repeat the words that David says in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. But I think the times I associate with David the most is when I'm waiting for something great to come along. Um, when I know more is coming, I know there's going to be more later, but it's not here yet. I like to picture myself as kind of a shepherd boy just waiting for my chance to slay a giant for nationwide fame or I know I'm going to be in this great position later and I'm not there yet, but I know it's coming just like David was waiting for uh, kingship. In this passage we're about to look into, David was anointed by Samuel, um, but it was years before anything came of it. It was even years before he fought Goliath. But before David was a warrior, before he was a slayer of giants, before he was a general, before he was a king, before he was the ancestor to the Messiah, David was a shepherd first. He served where he was. He could have complained, he could have whined, he could have just put in the bare minimum, but he didn't. And I think that's because he understood three different truths about how God works when we serve him where we're at right now. I think the first truth that we're going to look into is when we serve, we need to serve now because God is preparing us. Like I said, David was a shepherd. This wasn't a glamorous job. It wasn't exciting. It, sheep stink. They're not very smart. Um, it was rough out there in the wilderness. It wasn't highly respected work. But look at David. When we look at David, we see that he was a shepherd, and he was a good shepherd. He didn't go halfway. Um, David knew what it took to be a good shepherd. He was an author of quite a few psalms, and a lot of them draw on this shepherd imagery. It's pretty likely that some of them were even written while he was a shepherd for his father. 
Psalm 23 is one of the most familiar ones. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing water. He restores my strength. He leads me down the right path for the sake of his reputation. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff reassure me. David knew what it took to be a good shepherd. He guided his sheep around the rough terrain outside of Bethlehem. He found them still water for them to drink. He made sure that they walked on paths where they wouldn't fall or be hurt. And he took care of them. He protected them, even risking himself. We know from 1 Samuel 17, 34, right before he fights Goliath, um, he talks about what he did to keep the sheep, the sh- keep, say that five times fast, keep the sheep safe. <laughs> Sorry about that. There we are. Um, so it's 1 Samuel 17, 34. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came or carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David just didn't go halfway. He wasn't like a hireling shepherd. He committed. He risked his own life. I mean, I don't know that I've ever had a job where I would risk my life for or fight a lion or bear for. So as most of you guys know, or some of you guys know, I used to do new construction plumbing before I got hired on here at New Hope. New construction being the key word. Um, and there, there's three types of plumbers. And there were bad plumbers. There were just the guys that took forever, didn't do good work, had lots of leaks, didn't test, didn't pass code, and they just did not do good work. And then the type of plumbers that most people are were good enough plumbers. These were the kind of guys that they did stuff fine. They got stuff done in decent time. They did decent work. It was all legal. It all passed inspect. They did good work, but it was just good enough. And then there were the really good plumbers. These were the guys who went above and beyond. These were the guys that would take an extra half day, run 10 feet of extra pipe, a bunch of extra fittings just so there wouldn't be a bulkhead in the basement or drill 25 joists just so there wouldn't be water lines exposed. Um, These would be the guys that, I had one lead actually who spent like 45 minutes working with the homeowner so that the shower laid out exactly where she wanted, that the body sprays were exactly where she wanted, shower head, strain, all that. That didn't help that the homeowner was very pretty. I'm sure that factored in, but he was willing to go above and beyond. Um, And I think there's these kind of tiers in every type of work. In whatever job we have and whatever responsibilities we have, there's, there's these three tiers. And most of us, because of culture and just because of the pride we have, we don't fall into the bad work category. But I think oftentimes, especially when you've been doing something for long enough, you can fall into the good enough category pretty easily. Just do the bare minimum, get by. And I think what we learned from David is that the more good work we do versus good enough, the more we are prepared for what God has for us in the future. David worked as a good shepherd, and we see that that prepared him so much for what he had in the future. He used those experiences he had shepherding sheep for years for his father to write down psalms that we still that we still have memorized that we still are encouraged by to this day 
we have, because of the experience he had fighting off those bears and lions, he used that experience, those skills, and the trust that he had in God to protect him when he fought Goliath. If he hadn't done that when he was a shepherd, he wouldn't have taken that fight on with Goliath. He used his time in the wilderness. He, protect, he perfected his skills on the lyre, which was kind of like a harp. And God used those skills to bring him into the courts of Saul, the king he would eventually end up replacing, the king that he would slay Goliath for as well. No, let me make it clear. This is not like a work hard, get to heaven kind of thing. This isn't a work hard and you get heaven points kind of thing either. What we see is David was in such a relationship with the Lord that it affected every aspect of his life. It affected his work. So when he worked, he worked for the Lord. When he had spare time, he used it to build skills that would help him, abilities that would help him. And the Lord used those to put him in a unique position to serve and bless the king of Israel. A shepherd boy learns the harp, and he ended up serving in the court of the king. This idea of working for the Lord is echoed in the New Testament. In Colossians 3.23, we see, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord. I've been able to see this play out, since I've been on staff here, I've been able to see this play out in a lot of cool ways at New Hope. Um, if I really understood everything that Corey Hewitt and Craig Schwarzkopf do on kind of the tech side of things, I could make a list with just the stuff they do. Um, we've been doing Facebook Live for a while, and we just we struggle with internet issues. So Craig spent probably 50 or 60 hours out here in between two weeks, probably longer than that, honestly, um, and just did everything we needed to. So we have high-speed internet out here, so we can continue to stream Facebook Live. Um, uh, Corey Hewitt has done an amazing job and poured in countless hours. He takes the skills that he has at work, at working in IT, and he used those to help us build a website. So that, that's oftentimes the first thing that people see when they come to New Hope is you see the website before you step in the door. And because of Craig, uh, Craig and Corey's skills and some other people as well, we have a good first impression that those of us in the office day to day could not have done we do not have those skills. Uh, Brent Schwenecker is another great example. He came in, I think it was just like one afternoon, and he he'd been working on a podcast. He does a podcast for work, and um, he came in and he said, hey, we could do a podcast of the sermons really easily. Um, I've actually built it all out here, so if you tell me yes, then I'll go ahead and publish them. So we have our, pod, our sermons are all on podcast now um, because Brent had those skills at work and said, hey, I could do that here. It'd be easy. Um, Katie Fife is the one who normally runs our Facebook page, and it's just awesome. She has such a knack, such a skill set for just understanding how social media and just a younger generation work. We always joke, um, I'm like two years older than her, but uh, she's much more of a millennial than I am, and as far as understanding how younger people work and how social media works, it's not really my skill set, but it's been such a blessing. Even going through and reading, um, Reading your guys' comments about that, it's, it's been a cool output, or been a cool way to see so many different people being affected by our Facebook page. There are so many more examples of this, of people taking their skills, their knowledge, their abilities that they've gained from wherever, from whenever, from however they got them, and using them within the church. It's so awesome to see. We have, 
We have farmers, accountants, we have teachers, electricians, IT workers, public health workers, we have city maintenance guys, we have stay-at-home moms, and all of these people have gathered together, and we have nothing in common except for Christ. And that's more than enough. It's so awesome to see the body of Christ come together, and we have so many different parts, and they do different things. It took me, so I'm 28, going on 29. Um, It took me five years from the time I graduated Bible college to get a job at a church. That was not the timeline that I expected. Um, And in between there, in the five-year gap, I had, I think, seven different jobs I counted out and a few other opportunities. But the cool thing is, looking back on it, each one of those jobs prepared me for this job for serving at New Hope in ways that I couldn't have served as a baby-faced college graduate. I could not have done it. Um, so it's, it's awesome. So, but it's easy to see that looking back, but looking forward, wherever you're at, serve as if you're serving the Lord. If you're a cubicle worker and working in some faceless corporation, work there well. Work as if you're working for the Lord. Build skills, take training opportunities, Gain abilities. God is preparing you. If you're a teacher, work there well. Don't become complacent. Keep struggling. Keep fighting. Keep going. Because what you learn there and how you interact with kids there is going to prepare you for something God has for you. We might not all have our dream job or dream responsibilities or the dream situation, but when we work where we're at, the harder and the better we work there, the more we're prepared for what God has for us in the future. We're to serve where we're at because God is preparing us for where we're going. The second truth I think David really understood was we need to serve now because God is ultimately in control of everything. Um, The passage we're kind of drawing from is Psalm, and not Psalms, I did this last time too, 1 Samuel 16 And it's the first place David's mentioned. We pick up right after Saul has kind of been rejected as king. He's not been pulled from the position, but God has officially kind of removed his support. He is no longer supported as king of Israel. Um, And so, as such, God is looking for a replacement for him. So, he sends Samuel, who is a prophet, kind of the mouthpiece of God in this season, And he says, in verse 1, Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about this, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. Samuel was a huge deal in Israel at the time. He was, like I said, he was the mouthpiece of God. He was the one who had anointed Saul as king, the first king of Israel. Um, And you see the reaction of those people in Bethlehem in verse 4. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. And they said, do you come in peace? They were terrified of him. So I've lived in Adel for I think seven or eight months now. I think I moved in like April of last year. Um, And it's a different town. I've never lived in a town this small. I grew up in a city of like one million people. And I lived in Ankeny, which is 
50, 60,000 and growing. So Adel is a whole different thing. One of my favorite parts of living in Adel is the two Facebook pages that go with the town, whether it's the positivity one or the rants and raves one. And my favorite thing is like whenever anything happens in this town, you can, you can go to one of those sites and it'll show up. Whether it's someone who got pulled over on the bridge or whatever happens, whether they're building a new building, whatever happens, you can hear murmurings about town on that site. And I kind of imagine a more analog equivalent of that happening in Bethlehem when Samuel showed up. I mean, I can just imagine, did you hear Samuel's here? Sa Samuel the prophet? Why is, he, why is he here? I heard he called for Jesse and his sons. Like, can you imagine like, the murmurings that would be going around and speculation would just run wild? It'd be crazy. And so Jesse gets called out. And Jesse brings his sons. He brings seven of his eight sons. Uh, so not only is it exciting for the rest of town, but, I mean, can you imagine being one of Jesse's sons? And then imagine being David. I mean, you talk about fear of missing out. Like, everyone else is going to this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and David gets stuck behind tending sheep. We see, we pick up again in verse 10. 1 Samuel 16, the Lord has not chosen thee. So he asked Jesse, are these all, he, Samuel goes through and he goes through all of David's, not David's, sorry, Jesse's other sons. And he, the Lord tells him that those are not the ones he's chosen. So Samuel asked, the, he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending sheep. Samuel said, for, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, for he is the one. David had the, the kind of drew the short straw and was stuck back at home, draw, tending sheep. And then he finally gets to come and he gets anointed. And that's awesome. He's excited. It's crazy. It's weird. David doesn't specifically know that he's being anointed. It doesn't say specifically anyway that David or his family knew that he was being anointed for kingship. But either way, he was clearly being anointed. He was being set apart by God for something special. He was set apart from his brothers. He was set apart from everyone in his town, from everyone in the nation, honestly. And that's, that's so amazing. But then when we pick up with David again in 1 Samuel 17... We see him running errands for his dad, taking a break from tending sheep. He had been given this amazing thing. This amazing thing happened. He'd been promised something great was going to happen. And then a couple of years later, he's still tending sheep. So often we, we do this thing where we ignore what's going on in our lives now. And we don't focus on the present, but we focus on the future. We, we know or hope that something great is going to happen in the future, and so we want, we want to fast forward to that point. So we tend to live three months or three years or 30 years into the future rather than living where we're at now. If we could just get to this life stage, if we could just get married, if we could just get this job, if we could just retire, then life would be great. And it, it's such a natural thing to do. My favorite, my favorite example of this is... Um, I got married last summer uh, to my lovely wife over there, um, and it, it's amazing. I love being married. Being engaged was weird. It, it's kind of not, it was not my favorite time in life because everything you're doing is like looking forward to that date, 
And so there's bridal shows and there's shopping and planning and shopping and planning and, and then premarital counseling and all of that. But so when we finally got married, it was nice just to finally, this time that I'd waited for was here. And so we got married and we went on our honeymoon and it was just great just to be married. And I'd been waiting for this for six months and it was exciting. Well, so we get back and there's this little get together going on. And um, Ashlyn, who's uh, Pastor Ryan's youngest daughter, she comes up, hugs me, and so I'm holding there for a little bit, and she's excited to see us and everything, so she leans in, and she just whispers, is Hannah pregnant yet? And so, and she, she was not, and she still is not, and just in case you're looking for rumors, search elsewhere. Uh, but it's just such a default to look forward to the next thing immediately after we get the thing we've been looking forward to. I've been looking forward to being married for since we got engaged, I think one year ago yesterday. Um, and then as soon as we got back, we'd been married a week, and it was, so, are you guys pregnant yet? And some, some people older than Ashlyn waited a little bit longer to ask, but not yet, not much. Um, but we're so, it's such our default. Even at six years old, we look forward more to what's next than where we're at What's coming up is so often more exciting to us than where we're at right now. And so when we look at David, David doesn't live like this. I think David honestly could have been a shepherd his entire life and been completely content with it. I think he would have been a good shepherd. He was destined for greatness. He had been anointed by Saul. But even then, he served the Lord well as a shepherd. David also had a unique opportunity to serve the king. Um, and like we talked about, he had learned the, the lyre or the harp. Um, and we're going we're gonna to read in verse 16, actually. 1 Samuel 16. Let our Lord command his servants to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. So because of the skills he picked up while shepherding, he got this opportunity to go play for the king. Saul had, like we talked about, Saul had kind of had his support removed from him from God. And so he... It talks about a harmful spirit, a spirit of kind of depression or um, melancholy falls upon him. And to combat this, he searches for someone to play music for him. And David is, ironically, the one that gets picked. Um, We get this because he gets this opportunity. He's, He's in a position, a super odd position. He's in a position where he's serving underneath the king that he's going to replace He's, he's in a position, he's already been anointed by Samuel, and he's in a position where he could easily act selfishly, act in a way that politically would make a ton more sense. He could have taken care of Saul's heirs. He could have tried to turn the courts against him. He could have done a number of things. He could have just flopped out on the audition and gone back to shepherding sheep. Um, but he didn't do that. What he did was he did it well. He, he was given this opportunity to play for the king, and he did it so well that he kind of gets this promotion to an armor bearer. And an armor bearer was kind of like a personal attendant. It was a very 
trusting and committed relationship with this king. We see in the example in 1 Samuel 14 that Jonathan and his armor bearer went on a raid together. Jonathan was Saul's son, and they went on a raid together that was unsanctioned. I mean, he kind of, they were willing to risk everything for each other. Um, Something that the armor bearer says in that story is, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you heart and soul. We see um, another of Saul's armor bearers in 1 Samuel 31 at the end of Saul's life is willing to literally die with Saul. Saul falls on his sword and his armor bearer is just stricken with grief so he falls on his sword as well. This is the kind of relationship that David was getting into with Saul. Again, the king that he was going to replace. He had this trusting, committed relationship with him. He could have done so much differently if he was more selfish or not trusting. There's, there's again, politically, he did not make any of the right moves. But he trusted God because he trusted that God was in control. He didn't plot about how he would gain control. He didn't try and rush, rush God's, he didn't try and rush God's timing at all. He trusted God and he served God where he was at. Whether that meant being a shepherd, waiting, whether it meant playing in the courts of a man who would eventually try and kill him multiple times, God trusts, David trusted God with timing. We know this from a couple of different, we know this from how David acted, but we also know this from Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a psalm that David wrote as well, and it says, For you created me in my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Listen to this part. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. David knew that God had written out everything that he had for him. He knew that these things were wonderful. When we know that God is completely sovereign, when we know he is over all and in control of all, we get a chance to rest and trust in him, and that gives us freedom to serve where we're at. But when we don't trust that he's in control or we don't think he has our best interest in in heart, then we try and take control ourselves, and we honestly don't have the power to do that. I can't make everything go the way I want it to go, even if no matter how hard I try. And so when we do that, we end up discontent and we end up dissatisfied. But when we give God control, when we trust him with it, then we end up content. And contentness leads to service because when we're content with where we're at in life, we can rest in that and we can serve him there. When we're content with the job we have and we know that's where God put us, then we can serve him in that job and we can do that job well. We get awesome opportunities when we trust that God is control to serve him now and to serve him where we're at. The third and final truth we're going to look at is the most important one, but it's kind of the most simple one as well. When we see David doing all of these things that were not kind of the the highlights, and when we look at the highlights of David, we look at him defeating Goliath, we look at him as king, but 
we skip the valleys or the, the hard parts walking up the mountains. And David served well in those areas because he knew that when we serve where we're at, when we serve him now, God is glorified. There's a bunch of verses in scripture that talk about this. I'm just gonna read a few of them. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says, so glorify God in your body. 1 Peter 4, 11 says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 17 says, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3.23, we read already, says, Whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's this idea that God was glorified when David was king. But God was equally glorified when David trusted him and rested on him and served him as a shepherd. God was equally glorified when he rested in him and trusted him and served him as a harp player in Saul's courts. Um, I had a professor that had one specific phrase that he said very often. Um, and it was, be here now. And this hand motion always went with it. Be here now. And Sometimes we have a tendency to be places, to not be places even when we're physically there. And like when you're learning about ecclesiology at 7 a.m. on a Monday, that happens often. So he would just say, if you weren't paying attention, it would be here now. You need to stay right where you're at. Be focused on where you're at. And that's important. David did that. David was wherever he was when he was a shepherd, when he was a heart player, when he was being chased around by Saul, he served God because he was present and he knew that's exactly where God put him. So wherever you're at, whatever job you have, even if it's not your dream job, whatever responsibilities you've been given, be there. Be right where you're at. Trust that God has put you exactly where he wants you. Trust that he's preparing you. And trust that if you rest in him and serve him, then you'll glorify him there. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity just to speak, Lord. I thank you just for the chance to just share your word. Um, I pray that just this would be an encouragement to just serve you wherever we're at, Lord, that we can glorify you whatever job we have. It's not just mountaintop experiences, but we can serve you when we're just walking a regular day, Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, Jake. Well, let's go ahead and stand together um, and close our worship service with another song. <clears throat> We're going to close with Before the Throne of God. And um, as Jake was talking about how, how David lived his life, uh, constantly satisfied to serve God wherever he was, um, he, he lived his life constantly before the throne of God. Uh, he, he never never lost sight of that, that everything he was doing was in God's sight um, and under his control. Um, I just pray that maybe we could live our lives in the same way. So let's sing this last song together.
hope to take that home with you that you can enjoy on your tree at home. And if you have muscles and your schedule allows, um, we need some help taking down the Christmas decorations after service. Have a great week.